Danny just read for us out of Jeremiah 35. Read verses 18 and 19, the last two verses. And we're going to go over Jeremiah 35 because we're continuing in our series of lessons dealing with the, the subject matter, the theme that there is no such thing as a perfect family. What you, what you would need to have for a perfect family is perfect parents, perfect teaching, and perfect obedience from perfect children. Anyone here qualify? <laughs> I don't believe I am being presumptuous to say there is no such thing as a perfect family. It's biblically stated there is not a single person who is without need for the mercy of God, who is without need for the grace of God, because we all fall short of God's glory. And if the fact is every single person is not perfect, that we all sin and fall short of God's glory, that means our families aren't perfect. Contrary to some who believe, wow, look at them, they're perfect. <laughs> so we looked at that last week, and this morning, though, just because a family is not perfect does not necessarily mean that we can't have good godly families. You know, when sin came into this world, I want you to stop and think of the ramifications to sin. When sin entered this world, God cursed. And when he cursed, you go to Romans chapter 8 and you see that since then, this world has been groaning with the hope of something later on. No more do the animals live in harmony with one another or let alone with mankind. I mean, I can't imagine what it was like to live as Adam and Eve when there's dinosaurs roaming around the earth. It is not like Jurassic Park in the movies. I mean, it was beautiful. There was no sin in the world. Sin comes into the world and everything is in chaos, including the earth that we live in. And so we can see, um, take some time, read Romans chapter 8 and see the, the birth pangs, if you will, of the earth are waiting for something because when sin is in this world, it's not good. And that is a reminder that God has given to us. And so when it comes to our families, we don't have perfect families. We have a desire for it. God wants us to have it, and he wants it to be based upon his holy word. And God's people who have children desire to have a family that's going to be godly desires for families to to grow up teaching them the precepts of god's will look at what it says here in in deuteronomy chapter 5 look at what it says there and we can read deuteronomy 5 and deuteronomy 6 uh, exodus 20 verse 12 following we'll look at just a few of these passages but i want you to read this is what it's like when you take a, a people of god who says we love you lord we want to give you our lives we want to love you with all our heart soul and mind and here it says, here's what you do then. So in chapter 5, in verse 16, as, as these commandments are given, he says in verse 16, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. How many of you have purposed intentionally to raise up a family where your focus is, I want you, children, and I want your children's, I want your children, and your children's children, and your grandchildren's children, and so on and so forth. I want them to live long on this planet that we sojourn. Intentionally doing that. 
You see, for as many that would read this passage of Scripture, and we can read it in Ephesians chapter 6, so it's not just an Old Testament type thing. This was from the very beginning since sin came into this world that God wants us to have these kinds of families. But not many families actually intentionally think this way. That I'm going to raise you and I'm going to make charges and commandments that says, this is how I want you to live. Let me repeat that one more time because I didn't want it to pass over your head. That I'm going to charge you, I'm going to command you, this is the way I want you to live. So that you live long on the earth that God has given us to sojourn in. Not many people think that way. And when we go and teach our children today, not many children accept that way. How many times would you um, go back and recall in your Rolodex of, of events and memories with your family life that you've trained up your children in the way they should go and they're saying, I don't want it. I'm not buying into it. Whether it's for a few seconds, a few minutes, a few days, a few weeks, a few years, a few decades, that I have my own faith and this is the way I want to live my life and, and they're doing it having read this passage of scripture to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Because today, I believe, and I put this in the article um, for this morning, we live in a very different kind of society today. We're very fragmented. Not just geographically speaking, we're fragmented in belief. We're fragmented in, in practice. So that what you see in parents are not necessarily seen in their children. And then what you see in your children's children are not necessarily what you see in your children. But you also will see some consistency of friction. Because of the beliefs not blending in. I share that as backdrop because when we get to Jeremiah 35, that is not the case with the Rechabites. God is using the Rechabites as an example against his own children. I want you to, to before we actually look at the next slide, consider this. Israel is ready to go into captivity. They're ready to go into Babylonian captivity. They don't know it yet, although Jeremiah has been telling them this is what's going to happen. They have been rejecting not only Jeremiah and the other prophets, they're rejecting God himself. God has sent prophet after prophet after prophet, not only to Israel, who had gone into Assyrian captivity, but now to Judah. And God is so frustrated. Here's our heavenly father speaking to his children, frustrated that his children will not listen to him. Now imagine that. We have a perfect God, a perfect God father and he has perfect laws and he exercises everything of parenthood with perfection to his rebellious children Israel that's the backdrop okay with that in mind we read of the Rechabites so to read and know about the Rechabites, you actually have to go back to 1 Kings 21, 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings 10 is where you get to know about this guy named Jonadab. He is the son of Rechab. And Jonadab is good friends with Jehu. 
All right? So here's the backdrop. In 1 Kings 21, Ahab is an awful, awful king. You guys know about him. Very bad king, so much so it's prophesied what's going to happen to him, to Jezebel, his ungodly wife. And we fast forward to 2 Kings, and the time has come for the fulfillment of this prophecy. Jehu has just slaughtered all the king's sons. And he's making his way through Samaria, and he comes up and he sees Jonadab, or Jehonadab, depending on your uh, Bible translation. And he says, is your heart with mine? And of course, Jehonadab says, yeah, I, I'm with you. We're, we're good friends. And so he says, come, seal my, see my zeal for the Lord. And he goes through Samaria and kills everyone who is associated with Ahab. Jezebel has been killed. Ahab's sons have been killed. Now all the royalty, friends and family, they've been killed. And now Jehu gets Jonadab to go with him and watch him as he gets all the Baal worshipers, all the Baal prophets, and puts them together in this temple. Jehu wants Jonadab, his friend, to see this, and his friend is agreeing with this. This is the fulfillment of God's prophecy of the things that are happening against the house of Ahab. I share that with you because the scripture puts his name specifically in so that when we go fast forward 200 to almost 250 years later, the Rechabites, and particularly Jonadab, is in mind. Now imagine that. 200 to 250 years before your great, 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 grand, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten greats. I don't know how, how many generations there were between. But imagine all these generations and your great, 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 great grandchildren saying, we listen to great grandpa. That's amazing. That really is amazing. Parents would love for them to say, my children listen to me. <laughs> I mean, that is Fantastic. To have your grandchildren listen to your words that you have given to your children, that's mind-boggling in today's North American fragmented society. Now imagine your great-grandchildren doing it, and that's just like astronomically almost impossible. And yet, this has been happening for generation after generation after generation. I want you to begin, read with me in Jeremiah 35, and I want us to pick up what's going on as we look at this next slide, just absolutely beautiful as we, we look at um, this prophet and God is choosing the Rechabites through this. Jeremiah 35, beginning in verse 1, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which is just on the very brink of going into captivity. Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, Bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. God is saying, you go get the Rechabites, bring them into the temple, make them drink wine. All right? So Jeremiah takes Jeaziah, um, excuse me, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habaziah, excuse me, his brothers and all his house, 
or all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdaliah, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Messiah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. They said, we will drink no wine. For Jonadab, the son of Rechab, you know, great, 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 great grandpa, our father commanded us saying, you shall drink no wine, you nor your sons forever. Little paraphrase, a little parenthesis. Those who are um, translators say that the Hebrew word, it's very few times it's used this way, is so strong on the word no that it carries the idea of no forever. And that's why we have it in our English. You shall drink no wine, you nor your sons, forever. You shall not build a house, the same no, forever. Sow seed, forever. Plant a vineyard, forever. Nor have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents. And notice what he says. This is intentional parenting that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. He had in mind Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. He had in mind the idea that if you keep my word and you don't live in the city, but you live in tents, that you don't plant your own vineyards, you don't even grow crops, that you'll live for, for many more days you will have the promise of God's blessing upon you. That was Jonadab's mindset in charging his children no wine and this nomadic style of living. He goes on to say, you shall not build a house, oh, excuse me, um, thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us, to, to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build our houses, ourselves houses, to dwell in, nor that we'd have a vineyard, field, or seed, but that we have dwelt in tents, have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, has commanded us. I'm going to stop at verse 10. We'll get to verse 11 in a little bit. But you see, Jonadab says, I am charging you children, and I want you to charge your children, and I want your children to charge their children for all these generations that you live this way. Now imagine that, teaching your children these things. And that according to Exodus 20, as well as Deuteronomy 5, as well as Exodus uh, 32, no, 34, excuse me, that all these passages say the same thing, that you may live long. We have in Ephesians 6, verse 2 and 3, children, obey your parents and the Lord, we're told in verse 1. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Honor your father and mother. And Jonah is saying, you honor me by keeping what I tell you to do. Now, you think about that. He wants them to live well. He loves his children He's not doing it to be a stick in the mud. He's not doing it to be a hard disciplinarian. You know, because the rest of the Israelites had it a lot easier. They got to live in the city. They got to grow crops and eat off the crops that they themselves worked. And he's saying, do none of those things. 
I can imagine as he is teaching his children with the modern American mindset that is instilled, embedded within our psyches, they would say, Dad, are you crazy? Have you lost it? There's no way I'm going to do what you, what you want us to do. I can imagine these things. But Jonadab loved God. And he wanted his children to trust him, to trust his word. This is a man who is not perfect. This is a man who we don't know anything about his life other than what is given here in Jeremiah 35 as well as in 2 Kings 10, verses 15 and 18. That's all we have of him. But we know he's not perfect because otherwise he would not need a savior. But he wanted to live by faith. In fact, when you read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 9, in Hebrews 11, it says in verse 9 about those who are living by faith. Check this out. It sounds just like Jonadab. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. This is about Abraham. The heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. What is said of Abraham could very well have been the mindset that Jonadab said, that's what I want for my children, to live by faith like Abraham. I'm going to trust that while we have planted no vineyard, God would supply us. We have no crops, God is going to supply us. We have no sheltered house other than the tents that we're going to live in, and God is going to protect us. Today we're saying, are you crazy? I can imagine that maybe some of his fellow brethren may have thought that. I can imagine some of his children may have thought that. But yet his children, his grandchildren, to at least eight, nine, possibly ten generations, said they honored his charge. That is an amazing thing. You know, I don't think God was concerned about the specific charges that he gave to them. Not the specific things. In other words, I mean, if they had bought houses, God was not going to be upset with them saying you're not as faithful as the people who have lived in tents. Or that if you had crops, you're not as faithful as those who did not specifically have crops or vineyards. Or that because they had wine... Right? If you go back to Deuteronomy 14, when you're on your journey to go worship at the temple, one of the things that it says, you can buy wine and strong drink and have that at the temple. That's part of the sacrifices, if you will, that they would partake of. He said, even if you didn't do that, you would still be faithful if you didn't live like Jonadab. Here's the part that was important. Children, Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with promise. That you may live long or live many days in the land you sojourn. That's what I believe God desires of family. There's a sense of family loyalty. There's a sense of closeness within the family. There's a sense of trusting your father the way God wants his children to trust in the heavenly father. I guarantee you, there are some things that go on in the teaching of God's word that you're kind of shaking your head and wondering, I don't understand this, God. 
Your ways are so much higher than mine, but I trust you. Like a little children trusting mom and dad when they're real young, real little, you can do no wrong, mom and dad, until one day that somehow in our modern brain set, we kick in and we're like, my friends know more than mom and dad. I remember those days. My mom said, Mitch, you should be president of the United States. You don't listen to a word I say. Now it's going on to the next generation. <laughs> that, that, you know, we, we want you to listen. And children have a mind of their own. They have free will. Jonadab's children had free will. You know what their free will was? Listening to mom and dad. They freely chose to obey and to honor their father. And his desire that they would live a nomadic lifestyle. Now, if you go on to verse 11 of Jeremiah 35, look at what, he, what else they say to Jeremiah. There's an exception to the rule. It came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came into the land... That we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. You think about that. They are on the brink of going into Babylonian captivity. It's possible that some of the Jews have already gone with the first wave into captivity. I don't know exactly where this is time frame, time frame wise. But Babylon is knocking on the door. They have been taking people already captive from other nations. And things have gotten so terribly bad that after, what, 10 generations possibly, they're saying, listen, great-grandpa, forgive us, but for the sake of safety for our children, we're going to go into the walls of Jerusalem for safety's sake. It's not that they wanted to disobey their great-great-grandfather. They still understood that was not what their grandfather wanted, but they're going to try and do the best that they can to keep that charge 10 plus generations later. I think that's awesome. I really do. I think there's something to be said for loyalty from that standpoint. And here's the ultimate blessing that comes with the Rechabite family when you honor your parents. You see, if you go back to Jeremiah 35, look at what he goes on to say. Thus says the Lord of hosts in verse 13, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way, amend your, your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. See that commandment with promise? That's Deuteronomy 5, 16 all over again. But God is saying, you do this to me. I'm your father. I've charged you. And if you listen to my words, you will live long in the land. 
Surely, verse 16, the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them, but this people has not obeyed me. God, we hear your commandments, but this is the way we're going to serve you. Parents, tell your children and your children, I hear what you're saying, Mom. I hear what you're saying, Dad. I get you. I don't agree with you. Therefore, verse 17, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring on Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them. Deuteronomy 28 and 29. Because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard. I have called to them, but they have not answered. But turn it around. Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, as they were in the temple, and as they stood firm against Jeremiah, even though God says, you make them go drink wine, they said, "Uh uh-uh. We promised, great-grandpa, we won't do it. And we're doing it to serve God, by the way. Not to rebel against God, but to serve God. You tell the Rechabites, thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 18, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab, your father, kept all his precepts, done according to all he has commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel. Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand before me always. Wow. I think that's the most beautiful word you could have ever had Israel is on the brink. Judah is on the brink of going into captivity, and God gives this promise. There's not going to be a single man lacking in your family. You're always going to have someone to stand before me, always. You talk about a heritage, you talk about a legacy, and you talk about a blessing from God. That's what happens when you honor your father and mother. You don't have perfect parents, children. You know that. You see it in your mom and your dad. They're not perfect. But if they love you and are trying to honor God, trying to raise you in a manner that is honoring to God, you may not agree with all the decisions that you made, but you can honor them. You can respect them and you can abide by them. You see, that is exactly what it's like in our relationship to God. Do you see not... Do you not see the application? There are things that are in God's word that you may say, I don't want to do it. I disagree with you, God. But I love you, and I'm going to honor you. I mean, there's not everything that you can understand at your juncture of your life that you're going to say, I agree with everything that God... You might agree with everything, but you may not understand it. You may not even like it. But you honor him. See... I believe that's what God gives families for. I believe, I believe, excuse me, that God has given us families because there's going to be times where we may have disagreements with our parents. But when we learn to honor them, despite those misunderstandings or because of those differences, it's, it's a stepping stone to truly honoring our Father in heaven. You think about that. Today, patriarchy is lost in our society. It's lost. It's gone. When I say it's gone, I speak generally. There's always exceptions to the rule. I'm speaking like Proverbs. We don't have a a country where patriarchy 
is upheld. You go to other parts of the world, patriarchy is upheld. We may not like the way it's upheld. We may not like the teachings of how it's upheld, but it's upheld. But not in this country. In this country, we are very fragmented, geographically speaking, as well as beliefs-wise. And so we don't get to to enjoy the blessing that God has. I think the Rechabites are a great, great example of what it's like for children when you listen to your parents. And imagine telling your children, here's what grandpa taught. Here's what grandma taught. Kind of like with Eunice and Lois going all the way down to Timothy. And it's gone to the next generation. And we listen. Because we want to live long and dwell, if you will, in the land of our sojourning until the time the Lord calls us to be with him. That's a promise blessing that God has given. Children, when you read Ephesians 6, and when I say children, that includes everyone who still has mom and dad. (laughs) And mom and dad may even have gone their way to be with God. You can still honor your parents. Jonadab's grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on and so forth through the generations continued to honor their deceased grandfather and God bless them for it will God bless your family it's going to take parents being very diligent and sacrificial in teaching our children the things we want that's going to be good for them they may not like it imagine having to say no to your child today it's a hard thing for parents we, we live in a very selfish and I'm not blaming it just on our generation of today, by all means, but it's very manifest um, today. We live in a very selfish and entitled generation. We want it, we want it now, instant, fast food like service. And mom might say, no, you're going to have to wait. And for some families, it's like chaos all of a sudden. But children who are taught to honor their parents and children who willfully, voluntarily honor their parents, you'll see a family like Jonadab. Not perfect, but desiring the way of the Lord. Not easy, but blessed. We're finishing up in the next two weeks these series of lessons about not having a perfect family. Next week, um, Kenny is writing an article, What Happens When Your Prodigal Leaves. He asked to write that article. Brethren, if you know Kenny's story, he's the perfect person to be writing an article about this. And you know, I have chicken skin telling you this. When you know, like Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story, it is so beautiful. Some of you already know because Kenny's told you the story with his daughter. And it is amazingly wonderful, very uplifting, very encouraging. And all that has just taken place in the last few months. <sighs> so wonderful. But we're going to deal with what happens when your prodigal leaves. Remember that sermon I gave last year? About 60 to 70% of our children are leaving the Lord's church. That's too much, way too much. If that's the case, I want you to listen to the sermon next week. We're going to finish up on the last Sunday, God willing, of what happens when all of our children leave, and it's just you and your spouse. For some of us, that's shock. 
20, 25, 30 years after marriage, and you find yourself in a pickle of going, who are you? I, I know your name. I don't know who you are. We want to deal with something like that. We'll see the blessing of what happens when we can restore that, that marriage of, of being joint heirs in Christ. I want to close by saying this. If you give yourself to the Lord, you honor him. You may not always understand his will, but you come to him and you honor him. He has promised not just a blessing in this world here, but an eternal blessing. But you're going to have to give up your will. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. You're going to have to voluntarily, humbly, as John was mentioning during the Lord's Supper, humbly submitting yourself to the will of the Lord. But when you honor your Father in heaven, the promise is there, everlasting life. Do it by faith, and he will bless you. Why don't you come to him, turn to him, give your life to him. Jesus said, you know, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Well, what happens is when you're going to that watery grave, you're dying with Jesus. And when you rise up out of that watery grave, you are risen to a new life. By faith. No longer are you a servant to sin. You become a servant to righteousness. The righteousness which is achieved by faith. You can have that right now. Or you can have that if you have left the Lord and like the prodigal son comes back to his father and the father's right there, open arms. He wants you. You can have that. That's your invitation if you need that right now. It's together we stand and sing.